welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 2, Episode 19, Liars, Guns, and Money, Part 1, A Not-So-Simple Plan. Yeah, we are in the home stretch now. From here on out, every episode is going to lead to the next episode until we get to the season finale, which is itself a cliffhanger. As Farscape does. Yes. In fact, this season finale is the one... I've told the story before, I think, about getting to the end of a season of Farscape and driving two hours to another town to get the next season on DVD. Mm-hmm. This is the season where that happened. So when we get to that cliffhanger, realize in your head, I had no way to watch the next episode when I watched that episode. I will keep that in mind. This episode, because we're not quite there yet, this episode was written by Grant McAloon, who's written a few episodes before. Mm -hmm. He wrote Durka Returns. He wrote, (laughs) yeah, he wrote My Three Crichtons. Eh. He wrote the episode where Dargo uh, has sex with the lady and she steals Moya's life force. Yeah. God. Okay, so that that surprises me because I thought this episode was actually pretty good. It's a pretty good episode. Well, this episode was directed by Andrew Prowse, so Mm. I feel like most of the good episodes have his fingerprints on them. Yeah. Or maybe reverse that. All the episodes that have his fingerprints on them are good because there are good episodes that he didn't do. Yes. So we open on Zan freaking out because um, Starface guy got all... Stark? Stark. Stark. Exactly. Mm. That's how you remember it. Uh, he got exploded by the ugly jury people from the swamp planet. The hubcap world. Yes. Yeah. So he admitted uh, guilt in... There was a whole trial thing about um, Talon, because Talon blew up one of their guys, one of their ships... So they got put on trial, and Stark ended up throwing himself on the pyre so that no one else would die. Yeah, this was from the episode The Ugly Truth. I'm still not entirely sure why that stopped them from killing everyone else. Eh. They just needed to find someone guilty. They didn't care who. And Stark, you'll recall, when he found out that the punishment was dispersal, indicated that there was a slim possibility that he could survive dispersal. That gets upgraded pretty quickly from slim possibility to, oh, obviously this was something I could survive. Like four episodes later, Stark stays dead such a small amount of time. Like, honestly, this really does feel like it should be directly on the heels of him blowing up because it's like suddenly Xan remembers that she was panicking about this. Well, no, it's not that. It's that he has just come to her and told her that she needs to go to these specific coordinates to save him Mm. so that he can get his reconstituted body rescued. Dargo obviously doesn't want to do this because they're supposed to get his son, who is, as you will remember, being auctioned off with a lot of slaves. Hey, how did they get the information that that was happening? Who gave them that information? Oh, um, I don't know. Wait, I think it was Stark. Yeah, right? And Zan points out that it It's not going to do them any good to go to the slave auction because they have no way to free Jothy from the slave auction. God, Jothy. I mean, this episode is going to be about Stark coming up with a plan for them to get the money to free him. So 
Like, Stark is really, really invested in helping out Dargo. Which is weird because Darko seems interested in nothing more than screwing Stark over at every possible opportunity. Yeah. Do you remember when he told when he told Dargo that he knew where Jothi Jothi? Yeah. Where Jothi was. And Darko's immediate response was to start strangling him. I thought you were gonna talk about how on the Hubcap planet Dargo was like, what was Stark? Stark did it. Disperse Stark. Yeah. If I was Stark, I don't think I would be that into helping this guy. Honestly, this episode uh, did not do Dargo any favor in your eyes, I think. No, I thought we were out of the whole Dargo is a counterproductive idiot for no reason episodes. I thought we were too. I forgot what a jerk he is in this episode. For no reason. Now, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but part of Stark's plan relies on him flying off the handle and behaving in a terrible way, but... So it's good that he's a giant man-baby. Well, the thing is, he could have done that without being such a dick to all of the people around him who are trying to help. Just throwing that out there. Anyway. I do not like Dargo. Oh. So, back to this episode. Zan wants to go to these coordinates to rescue Stark, and everyone's like, Zan... Are you sure that you saw Stark and that you haven't just gone mad with grief? Everyone's being kind of an asshole here. I'm sorry, it's not like Zan's psychic powers aren't, you know, provable things they've used multiple times in this show. Remember when that, you know, space wizard tried to kill everyone and she blew him up with her brain? Right. Like... Twice. She blew him up with her brain twice in two different episodes. Like, why is it so weird to think, oh, maybe the guy made out of energy who had a psychic connection with Zan is contacting her through that psychic connection? I know, right? She goes to John because John has been in her brain and is like, uh, John, don't you believe me? And he's like, look, I do want to believe you, but we've been looking for him for a long time and haven't found him. And just as John's about to dismiss this, Stark appears again and is like, please rescue me. Yes, he happens to. Okay, so does John only see that because he's had unity or whatever it's called with Zan? No, no, he appears to everyone. Okay. I. I. I... Are we sure Zan hasn't had unity with everyone? Or, you know what? I, I said with such certainty, no, he appears to everyone, but maybe he does only appear to John. There's nothing sane one way or the other. Of course, John's also a big hallucinating baby, so maybe take everything he says with a grain of salt. Now, to be fair to John, he's hallucinating because there's literally a chip in his brain making him hallucinate. Yes. It's been a while since we've talked about the role-playing gameness of this show, mm -hmm. but that thing with Stark, it just so struck me as the Game Master told Zan's character, or Zan's player, rather, Stark appears to you. He tells you where he is. You need to go get him. And the rest of the player characters are like, no, we don't believe that. That's nonsense. And so finally, out of frustration, the game master's like, okay, Stark appears to all of you and says, here's where I am. Save me. Chiana's such a huge dick, too, which she, like, she has this whole speech to Zan where she's like, you know, Zan, sometimes when we're sad and we really, really want something, we think we see something, but that's just our brains lying to us. 
I'm like, why are you talking to Zan like she's a child? I thought you were going to talk about the 180 she pulls where she's like, I always knew Stark was alive and that Zan was telling the truth. No, I expect that from Chiana, but this weird condescending paternalism. or patronizing Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's weird. Anyway, they see something floating out in space, and that's where Stark is, so they use the docking web, and they pull it aboard Moya, and it's a barely alive Stark. And Dargo's like, wait, but we saw him be dispersed! And they're all like, Dargo, we do not have time for you to have not been paying attention to that episode, where he literally said that he could survive dispersal. Seriously. He's an energy being who's just, like, projecting himself into this dimension using that face mask thing as an anchor? No, no, it's more like his essence is the thing that is leaking out of the side of his face. So he, like, constitutes a body, but he can't, like, constitute a whole body. So the face mask holds, like, holds the whole shut so that his essence doesn't, like flood out everywhere that's why he takes it off when he does his like ushering people into the next life thing because that's the part of him that like has the powers uh, he talk, but he talks about being like from another dimension in this episode well he says that his body is just I, I i didn't i didn't take that to mean like from another dimension like the way that say charmed has like a hell dimension i took that to mean more metaphysically mm. Anyway, he tells Dargo that he has a plan to save Dargo's son. Like, literally the first thing he says is like, Dargo, I have a way to save your son. I just... Why are you so invested in this? I mean, it's good. It shows that you're a nice guy because you care so much about Dargo's kid, even though Dargo is constantly nothing but shitty to you. But why are you this invested in this? Well, I mean, if, if, I, if I can kind of jump ahead here. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason he's so invested is because Jothi is in a lot of 10,000 Bannock slaves. Remember, mm. Stark is from a slave race. So he does want to save Jothi, but also he wants to save 10,000 of his own people, or I guess 9,999 of his own people. Okay, so do they all have the, you know, energy leaking thing, or is that like a special thing Stark has? Because otherwise it seems like they could all just take off their masks and reconstitute wherever. Um, I don't know. I assume they don't, and we are never going to see them. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stark says that when he was dispersed, the first thing he did was find information to save Dargo's son, and then he reconstituted his body and stole a ship so that he could come back and tell them what they needed to know. That's pretty hardcore. This guy is carrying the team, and he's he's barely a part of it. Well, I mean, at this point, to go back to my role-playing analogy, at this point, he's an NPC, so he's literally, like, bringing the quest to the group. The quest being robbing a bank so that they can have enough money to buy the slave okay, people. This is like my favorite exchange possibly on this entire show ever mm -hmm. where he says that he has the blueprints to a depository and Shiana says, is that like a bank? And Stark goes, yes! And she goes, are we going to rob a bank? And he goes, yes! And Zan's like, oh, I don't know about that morally. I think that might be morally, I think that might be morally wrong. 
And Stark's like, excuse me, haven't you killed, like, a ton of people? <laughs> also, you don't have to worry because it's an evil bank. You know, you said evil bank in that tone of voice when you could have used that tone of voice for what it's actually called, which is a shadow depository. God. But it's essentially like an offshore account in the Cayman Islands, right? It's where people hide their ill-begotten gains. It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite tropes, which is when the black market is like an actual place you can go to to buy stuff. Right? When the black market is like an open-air bazaar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Aaron has to rain on everyone's parade and tell him that shadow depositories have a shit ton of firepower. In fact, more firepower than a gamut base. We need to know that because John and crew have already taken out a gamut base. So we need to know the shadow depository is even stronger. So all you have to do is not light a match anywhere generally near it and it won't blow up because that's all for the gamut base. Well. Isn't it weird how John went out of his way to stop that like people eating Parasite from killing everyone on the gamut base and then just blew it up anyway? I mean, we talked about this at the time, but... Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder what happened to her. Was she on the base when it blew up? Did she get to eat a bunch of peacekeepers first? No, they, they destroyed the parasite. Oh, sorry, I was thinking of the bone eater. Yeah. Right, you're right, the parasite. I'm sure the bone eater is just wandering around, um, what's his name, ship? Scorpius' ship? Scorpius, I, I think she's just wandering around Scorpius' ship because he forgot about her. It's not like he pays attention to his staff. So, so like, every so often, somebody will just disappear because she'll eat them? Yeah. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally forgot about the parasite. Yeah. John spent, like, an episode, two episodes? No, just one episode trying to, uh, trying to destroy it so it wouldn't reach that base. You could have saved yourself a bunch of time, dude. I was just about to say, but if he had let it go, then Jelena would have died. And then I remembered she did! <laughs> Look, as we go into season three, which, by the way, is nicknamed Seasons of Death, as we go into season three and four, we're going to reckon with John... Murdering a lot of people? No, John dealing with the consequences, like the emotional consequences, the emotional toll of everything he's done. So these aren't like flippant things that we're throwing out here. I mean, they are and we are, but... One of the things I like about Farscape is that these things actually will have weight. One of your complaints I know about Star Trek, the original series, mm -hmm. is that crew members just die all the time and, like, nobody Cares. on the bridge crew seems to care. Yes. So one of the things I like about Farscape is that the toll of everything John's gone through does affect him. Like, it's, it's not something to just be brushed away. It, what you're saying is he's not Mike Nelson, Destroyer of Worlds. You didn't watch MST3K, Mystery oh, Science Theater no, 3000. I, that's a, one of my weirdly blind spots. It's funny because I love watching old, terrible movies, but I just like watching them. I never really watched MST3K. I never really like got into it. I We should watch Merlin Shop of Mystical Wonders. It is my favorite. Okay. Uh, but, like, I mean... I. I was just thinking about it today because I was watching the Simpsons episode that does the takeoff on it, the No Springs short. Yeah. And I've never seen the MST3K episode that does a takeoff on that. I've just watched the actual short. No Springs! It's hilarious. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. 
But one of the running gags in later MST3K, mm-hmm. uh, when they switch from Joel to Mike, okay, because they have two different hosts. I know the whole controversy, even though I haven't watched it. Yeah. But one of the running gags with Mike is that he keeps on accidentally blowing up planets. <laughs> because that's when they're flying in space. When they're... Sure, sure, sure. But, uh... Anyway, back to Farscape. Yes. Stark has all of the blueprints to the Shadow Depository, and he has skeleton keys that will let them go wherever they need to go. I would be suspicious of how prepared he is for this already. (laughs) He says that... I thought you were dead. Nope, let's rob a bank. Here's everything we need. Well, he tells them that he helped a... The guy who designed the depository cross over into death. And in that moment of his death, he saw all the stuff he needed to find. <laughs> and John's like, did you kill him? And Stark's like, not exactly. I helped him move on. Spoiler, we will never explore what he means by not exactly. We're just going to like... Well, I mean, what he does is not not killing people. <laughs> well, normally he helps people who are already near death. And aren't we all near death in the scheme of things? So you just kind of push that dial a little bit. God. Anyway, Stark tells them that all they need to do is steal a single container and they'll have enough wealth to buy the whole lot of slaves and also more money than they could spend in their whole lifetimes. A obscene amount of wealth. You know what they should have done? I mean, I know this is... It's not in the best taste, but they should have taken that, like, super hot old Luxon lady's uh, stuff after she died. Mm. The the you-sucking one we talked about earlier. uh I mean, it's not like she was using it. Dargo sexed her into heaven, and then all of her stuff was just lying there. That is how that episode resolves. Dargo is ready to go. Like, Dargo's like, well, let's go then. And everyone else is like, wait, let's make a plan. And he's like... No! Fuck you! You all hate my son and want him to die! I'm gonna go do this. I'm just gonna walk right in there and take all the money. You all hate me and my son and I hate you all and I hope you all die. (laughs) He also says, I never questioned any of you when you came up with terrible ideas slash plans. And it's like, Dargo, literally ten minutes ago you were questioning Zan! The episode literally opens with you calling Zan stupid for trying to... For wanting to rescue her dead boyfriend who has been doing all of the heavy lifting and rescuing your kid. Including right now. Anyway, Dargo gets on a transport pod and heads towards the Shadow Depository. And Aaron and John go after him. And I really like this. We cut to them shouting at Pilot. And we don't hear what they said to Pilot. But Pilot's like, he doesn't need my permission to go anywhere. He's... He's an independent person with agency. Mm. Well, because... I mean, he shouldn't be, but he is. <laughs> well, I mean, presumably they said, why did you let him go? Even though that part's cut off. And I, I like that because it's like, you guys, it's, you're, not, you're not a military unit. You're not... You don't actually have any sort of hierarchy. I mean, in that episode we were talking about the ugly truth, we saw how everyone saw what the hierarchy of the ship was. And... Yeah, turns out there isn't a hierarchy. People can just do what they want to do. That's what happens when you're outlaws on an outlaw ship, John. Anyway, they all go down to the planet. I Dargo first, and Aaron and John kind of sneakily after him to 
try to save his butt before he gets himself completely caught. So when they get there, a human-ish looking alien is getting propositioned by a less human-ish looking alien. Okay, so I, you said propositioned. It, it's more like proposition slash threatened, like threatisitioned, which is her default state. And I have to say, I feel like you jumped the gun a little calling Scorpius the S&M alien when we have Natira now, mm. who is a blue scaly like like a she has like a a, a chitinous exoskeleton mm, yes is how i think you would describe it yeah so like a beetle yes she's a she's a sexy blue beetle although Ugh. it's weird <laughs> i mean no judgment but it, it's weird to to quote community this had better not awaken anything in me god Ugh. Anyway, John sees the guy that she's talking to as Scorpius and is like, oh my god, it's Scorpius. And Aaron looks and is like, no, it's not. You're seeing things, John. You and got then, them brain worms. Yep. And then Aaron's like, oh my god, I am on a mission to break into a shadow depository with a guy whose brain is not working right. Also Dargo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she actually says not to think I was worried about Dargo. Which you should be, because... Dargo basically immediately runs into a wall and gets swarmed with dudes. Yeah, he goes to a door. He tries to open the door. You've all seen The Wizard of Oz, right? What is Wizard of Oz this year? Remember the door outside the Emerald City with the big guy with the guy with the mustache? Oh, the yeah, uh-huh. And it's it's kind of framed like that. John goes, there's the guy with the mustache at the circle thing in the door. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's like a intentional reference or anything but it just really reminds me of that especially because you know occasionally farscape will remember that it's got a uh wizard of us thing going on dargo though is is not a horse of a different color god no no in fact he he gets he gets the door open and then completely swarmed with guards who take him down and then what did he think was going to happen <laughs> how did does he not know how banks work <laughs> Oh, no. What was the plan? He had no plan. And also, like, they were surrounded by... He, he was surrounded by people. Like, at least wait until there's a diversion or no one around. It's not like this was a heat of a moment thing. He had to take a transport down. I had to imagine that took a little time for him to cool off and like, think about stuff. He had however long he was in a transport to come up with a plan, and he came up with nothing. He came up with, walk through the first door I see. Oh, God. Anyway, it, he had those keys that Stark gave him that supposedly opened all the doors. But, like, opening all the doors isn't helpful if they're surrounded by armed guards, Dargo. Anyway, Nateria threat positions him. God. She's like, ooh, a Luxon. They're terrible at sex and apparently also at breaking into banks. You remember the scene in whatever the fuck Star Trek movie this took place in? Where the Borg Queen was trying to seduce Data, I think. Uh -huh. And she's like, ooh, Data, look at my slime boobs. Don't uh -huh. you want to be part of my special robot race? And he's like, not really, no. That's this seduction scene right here. Yeah, although this isn't even like supposed to be seduction. This is just like her default is seduction. Her her weapon is her sexuality. God. 
But she's like, all right, so take him off to torture him. It's carapissy Jenner Maroney. <laughs> yeah. If you can't take the heat, get off of... Scorpius? Scorpius's sex grill. If you can't take the heat, get off of Scorpius's sex grill. I... Okay. It's a double-edged sword, much like the one Scorpius <laughs> tried to stab me with. Anyway, Natira sees that there are two peacekeepers, or what look like peacekeepers to her, down here as well. And John and Aaron are like, okay, time to get out of here. Let's get out of here. Sucks for you, Dargo. Well, back on Moya, John attacks Stark and is like, um, you set up Dargo. You knew he was going to run off. You knew this would happen. And how on earth is this on Stark? It's it Stark's fault your friend's an idiot? <laughs> Stark comes on to the... I'm sorry, I'm pissed at John for this. Stark's like, hey, I knew I blew myself up saving you guys, but I managed to pull myself back together and came up with a plan to save Dargo's son. Clearly, he should have anticipated that Dargo would be, oh, I'm an idiot and I don't want to listen to your plan, and immediately just run through the first door he saw. How on earth is this on Stark? Okay, I gotta tell a story about one of my ex-roommates. Okay. Okay. So it was right after Halloween, mm -hmm. and I was in co I was in college, so I was in my early twenties, and I was driving down the road, and I saw that somebody had thrown out, uh, what was obviously a Halloween decoration. It was like a scarecrow that was stuffed with newspapers, and they had put it in their like yard recycling bin, so it's not like it was in the trash. Mm -hmm. uh, but they put it with like its legs and arms hanging out and its head like cocked to the side and it was just the saddest looking scarecrow i had ever seen so of course i took it because you know yeah. yeah okay so i brought it home and i put it on the couch and then i went about my business and forgot about it so later that evening my roommate came home saw it sitting on the couch and thought it was an intruder who broke into our house and just decided to sit in the dark so he tackled it, you know, and then was like, what the hell is this? And then he left me an angry note because he thought that it was obvious that he would come into the house, think this was an intruder, and tackle it, and that I had left it there for those events to transpire as a prank on him. <laughs> So what you're saying is you've been in this general situation before. That is what I am saying. Well, but the difference here is that Stark actually did intend for Dargo to go down there and get caught. This is all part of a bigger plan. So if my situation was exact, I would have done that knowing that he would attack it. And like, I don't know, I'd probably have had a nanny cam set up so I could put it on YouTube and be like, look at this. Look at this guy. Have you seen that video about the prank gone wrong? I don't normally like this sort of thing. But someone, like, dressed up as, like, a ring-style ghost girl. Mm -hmm. And then jumped out at his roommate, and his roommate punched him right in the face. I mean, you have to think that's going to happen a, a significant percentage of the time. Like, fight or flight, it's... It's, it's right there in the name! Yeah. So, yeah, Stark actually did plan on Dargo doing this. It was all part... Of the plan. I really still don't feel like you can blame Stark for this. Even if he anticipated it, it's not his fault that that's Dargo's default thing. Yeah, that's true. Like, he's guilty of being aware of how stupid Dargo is. <laughs> 
But his plan was that Dargo would try to break in, and since there's a security breach, the Shadow Depository is going to reset all of their security codes. And when they're in the process of resetting them, Stark can hack in and basically have, like, backdoor ghost access to everything. Mm, he says that. I think he's just going to guide some techie over and get all the information. <laughs> no, no. Uh, he was probably going to die anyway. <laughs> he's going to... He's... I don't know how Stark's power works. That's probably how it works, right? <laughs> yeah, you can just get him shove someone into the light. I mean, he can just shove someone into the light, but that's that's it's not the plan. Anyway, back in Natira's office, uh, Dargo is strapped to her sex slash torture orb, and <laughs> at least they got away from chairs. <laughs> yeah, and. Her her minions tell her that they've been torturing him, but he won't say anything. And she's like, "Yes, a Luxon will die before he breaks." So what? Why are you? What? Well, I guess it's just for fun. Okay, I guess. I guess when you work the long eighty-hour weeks that the manager of a shadow depository works, you have to take your pleasure where you can get it. If to, I'm sorry. I just. This is where I hit a kind of gap because I'm like. So does this mean Dargo's been just healing a lot because they've been wailing on him, or...? Well, yeah, right, because... Remember, that's what makes the blood run clear, is when your body thinks that you're in a fight. So, yeah, every time he gets punched, the, the wounds are going to run clear, and they can conceivably do this for a long time. I mean, if you really want to kill a Luxon, you kind of have to poison them. Or probably a decapitation, I'd imagine. I mean, I guess that you could. I guess you could bleed them enough that it doesn't matter how clear the wound is running. Yeah, I think if they torture him, they should just spin that ball around. It does look like it would make you nauseous. Yeah, it, you know what it looks like. Remember those like zero G like space simulator things that they used to strap you in, where it was like a ball. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they strapped you and they like, spun you all around. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Anyway. We see the rest of the plan coming together, and that plan involves Rigel being sealed up inside of a statue, given a gas that will make it appear as though he is dead, stopping all of his, uh, his vital signs, and then uh, storing him in the depository. Of it's, course. It, he's a Hynerian horse. Yeah. We also see that Zan has a pill that she takes and that she gives to Chiana so that they are temporarily immune from the effects of the gas. This will be important later. This is Chekhov's immunity pill. And then over at Stark's uh, part of the plan, he's trying to hack into the system. And it appears as though he's... Okay, so... Having watched this episode many, many times, I'm pretty sure that what's happening is he's putting, like, a, a blank disc into the machine essentially every second, and it will only work for the second that they're resetting the codes. So he's just burning off, like, disc after disc after disc until finally it reaches the point where the, you know, he's in. Mm. And he shoves all of the expended ones to John, who's come to harass him, and... He's like, these are the used ones. Take them and get out of here. And John, like, puts them back down and then Stark pushes them aside and is like, your side, my side. Remember? Remember when we did that before when we were both imprisoned by Scorpius? Call back! 
make your own fun. Yes. Poor Stark. He has to have, like, he would be terrible at parties. <laughs> hey, want to see your own death? Well, I mean, he has, he probably has a lot of interesting stories. He can tell you about the deaths of all of these other people or, or their lives. Mm. So Stark says to John, you know, just get out of here. Just go do nothing. It's what Dargo says you're best at. And John pulls the pulse pistol on him. He, he holds him at gunpoint and says, did Dargo really say that? And Stark's like, no, I was just mad and I wanted to say something that would hurt you. And John's like, we can fight, but don't lie to me. Don't say that. Don't say that my friend was talking shit about me. Yeah, because Dargo would never talk shit about John. I know, right? It's just weird because essentially, it, essentially, Stark tried to pull the Mean Girls conference call move, and like John brought a gun to a Mean Girls fight. So down on down at the Shadow Depository, we get um. One of Zan's most iconic costumes. No one can tell who this blue lady is if she's wearing an eye patch. Well, I mean, she's not trying to hide her identity. She's just trying to look like a badass criminal, which she does because she's wearing a leather cat suit and an eye patch. So you're saying this isn't a Wolverine patch situation? Yeah, no. This isn't like, uh, you can't see one of my cheekbones, therefore you don't know who I am. I mean, they've, they've made fun of the fact that Patch makes no goddamn sense. He did. How do you go undercover with that ridiculous haircut? Like, also, hair is easily fixable. I, I, I mean, you could change hair really easily. I, I remember one summer, I um, when when I was in college, I radically changed my hair over the summer. And I ran into someone I knew at at Starbucks with my radically changed hair. And I had on these big sunglasses. And I was like, hey. And they were like, they gave me kind of a look. And then they were like, oh, hey, Tina, I didn't recognize you. And I was like, oh, my God. This, this silly spy, paid, uh, you know, strong, bang, dark page boycott and glasses disguise actually works. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, that's she's not trying to be disguised. She's just trying to look like a criminal. Which she says she is. She says that she is Orala, some sort of crime boss, and that she was scouting out security. She sent her Luxon down to scout out security. I mean, you are a criminal, Zan. You are literally a criminal. Oh, yeah, she is a criminal. You are wanted hey, for crimes. Hey, she's not a thief. She's a murderer, okay? <laughs> it's totally different. That is true. She would never steal. Unless it was from an evil bank. Well, yeah. Because then it's morally good. Taking stuff that doesn't belong to you is cool as long as you take it from criminals. That's that's a great philosophy to have. Anyway, Zan says that she has a time-sensitive thing where she's going to need to rent a vault for a single day. Yeah, which... Sure. I, I mean, I guess I could think of some criminal enterprises where you'd need to do this, but also it seems a little suspicious. Yeah, yeah, this seems like the sort of thing one would do if they were, say, trying to get into your vault. Right? She also brought John and Aaron with her and claims that they're her guards. And uh, she's like, well, as long as I'm here, you may as well give me my Luxon back. 
and they do, which way to just save Dargo with no must, no fuss, you know? Yeah, because she, they're like, you know, why shouldn't we just kill him? She's like, well, I wanted, I was just using him to see how good your bank really was, and uh, there's no point in killing him, right? And they're like, okay, I guess. Well, she does a really good job of acting like she doesn't care, so they don't think he's important. I love Chiana's like, ah, they couldn't even kill Luxon. Yes, Chiana's being kind of concubine-y. Oh, so I feel like Chiana's being a hype man because <laughs> Chiana's just standing behind Zan and pumping up everything she says. So Zan's like, I have a short-term deposit to make. And Chiana's like, yeah, short-term. And Zan's like, one solar day. And Chiana says, one solar day. She's like a sexy, evil cheerleader. Yes. So they go to the vault and they summon the uh, the storage container. And I, I really like this. When the storage container flies at them, Zan flinches because it flies like right at their faces and stops inches from them. And Natira just stands still. And Zan is like, oh, God. And so... Natira gets to have the upper hand there, which... Well, you know what it weirdly reminds me of? What's that? I know you didn't read them, but there's a thing in one of the Artemis Fowl books mm. where his bodyguard is facing off against another bodyguard, and the other bodyguard like does a huh thing, uh-huh. and, the, and Artemis Fowl's bodyguard flinches. And the guy's like, uh, he starts you know, thinking he's got the advantage over... Artemis Fowl's bodyguard, but Artemis Fowl's bodyguard's like, you know, these are the, he's thinking to himself about how all of these, like, new tough guys always think that that thing to do is not to flinch, when in actuality, if you're going to get into a fight, you want to have really good reflexes. <laughs> yeah. So him seeing, so this lets him know how green the guy is, because he did not flinch when something came at him. Oh, that is interesting. I was, yeah, I was thinking, Zan didn't do this on purpose, but it probably gives Natira a measure of confidence, calmness in this whole venture that she got the upper hand here, that she won. So by getting to get this small victory, her suspicions abate a bit. Hmm. And that wasn't Zan's plan, but I feel like it works out that way. Yeah. Also, someone flinching when a giant metal object comes at them doesn't mean that they can't use their brain to kill you, so... Well, I mean, this was obviously... As has come up many times in this podcast, this is just a, a matter of getting your fun where you can. This is obviously just something that Tira does to everyone the first time to, you know, get 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 her laughs. It is an evil bank. It it is an evil bank. This episode has so much more plot than the average episode of Farscape. Like usually, Farscape has some pretty uh, wide dead spots, but this this one was just bam 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 bam. So I suggested to you, and I think I probably mentioned it on this podcast, that we should watch the whole Liars, Guns, and Money trilogy at once. Mm -hmm. Because when we watched Look at the Princess, I felt like watching it over a month and a half, you know, an episode every two weeks for for three episodes, it, it made the those three episodes kind of lose their oomph because those three episodes are one three-act story. Mm. But then when we watched this episode, I was like, oh, the first episode is a full story. Like, 
I was just remembering it as more than one episode because so much happens in this first one. I mean, I know what happens in the next two, but I was like, wow, I didn't realize all of this happens in the very first episode of Liars, Guns, and Money. Yeah, I figured the bank robbery would take multiple episodes, but it's done before the end of this one. Yeah, so you don't actually even know what's going to happen in the next two episodes. It's true. Although you probably have some ideas based on the cliffhanger that happens at the end of this episode. Hmm. So... Aaron and John are watching from a security room where, where they've been banished. They're watching everything that goes down through the security feeds. And Aaron sees that Scorpius is here. And she's like, yeah, John, sorry, it's actually him this time. It's actually Scorpius. I do like the little routine that they've fallen into where he's like, Scorpius or not. And she's like, no, I see him. Yeah. We see a lot of them working as a team in this episode in a way I really like. So Scorpius has come. He wants to withdraw all of his stuff from the Shadow Depository. And Natira's, you know, assistants are like, yeah, you can't go in there. She doesn't let people into the vault with her when she's with other customers. And, you know, there's that tension because we know that she's in there with Zan. And Scorpius would probably recognize Zan. He would 100% have recognized Zan. He realizes it's Zan. I mean, jumping ahead... He realizes it's Zan when he hears that there's a Delvian here. So, God. You know there are other Delvians in the universe, probably. Now, to be fair, when Natira says it's a Delvian, he asks who was with her, and she says a Luxon, a Nabari, and two Sebations. Uh, so yeah. that, does, that does very much limit which Delvian it is. True. So luckily... The uh, the bank guards hold Scorpius off long enough that Zan can get out of there, especially because Scorpius's brain starts overheating. Yes, so Scorpius needs one of those cooling rod changes. Yeah, so this is the first time we've seen this on the show. Scorpius has a thing installed inside of his head that has cooling rods, and I love I love how John who. In season one, couldn't figure out how doors open, looks at this, looks at the fact that he has a cooling rod inserted into his brain, and immediately understands, oh, he's half Scarin, half Sebation. Scarin's put off an incredible amount of heat, Sebations die from too much heat, this must be the thing he uses to get around that. How was he conceived? Not pleasantly. Ugh. I'm assuming his mom would have to be the Scarin. He'll talk about his backstory. We'll get to know. We'll get to know all about Scorpius. Mm. So, as I said, Zan manages to evade Scorpius, and she meets up with John and Aaron, and is like, "Okay, we need to get back to Moya right now." Sucks for you, Rigel. <laughs> Oof. Well, theoretically, they'll come back tomorrow. Yes, that is the plan. One solar day. So we get a scene with Scorpius and Natira, which is so I I mean, two SM aliens. They were they were made for each other. Trying to out SM one another. She's like, for a Scarin, you can be so cold. And then she's like, if you need, I know some ways to drain off your excess heat. And I'm like, do you do you mean sex, Natira? Because I mean even even with sebations, I feel like sex should generate heat, right? Like, even with 
even with like an S&M alien and an and a, and a like beetle alien, I, I still feel like sex would make heat. The she's... laws of thermodynamics continue to apply, right? She's cooling goo. Her she has a her 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 vagina is is icy. She has a she has a, a cooling vagina. Well, it's just colder than Scorpius's internal heat. Her body, she runs cooler because she's a bug. Okay. So by surrounding himself in her. That would cool him down. This is a dumb conversation. <laughs> I didn't... I, they brought it up! Anyway, we, I, I do like, though, that we get that they have a backstory without needing to know what the backstory is. We just know that they go back a while. Also, that when Tira found out that the Gamic base had blown up, she assumed Scorpius was dead and took all his stuff. And so now he wants things of triple the value of the stuff that she took to make up for it. And she tries to negotiate with him. She's like, double. And he's like, no, we're not doing that. Triple. On Moya, John, John goes to Stark again. And he does the, uh, he goes, uh, riddle me this. Riddle me this, Stark. What's black and white and black and white and black and white and black and white? And he imitates, like, spinning around in the Aurora chair because... That is, of course, how Stark and John met. They were both imprisoned and tortured in the spinny Aurora chair. Mm. And Stark is like, oh, no, Scorpius shouldn't be here now. And John's like, you knew we were robbing Scorpius? That was a bad plan. He, he claims that Stark is not actually trying to save Dargo's son. He just wants revenge on Scorpius, which, oh, no. Also, <laughs> and Stark's like a thing can be two things. Yeah, like you, you, you're doing a lot of shoving guns into Stark's face for no reason. Okay, so this is important though because he doesn't shove a gun in Stark's face. He holds out his finger like a pistol and shoves it in Stark's face, and Stark responds to that as though John is holding a pistol because neither of them are entirely sound. <sighs> John is such a huge dick to Stark for no reason. Like, I'm sure if you had asked, I'm sure if you read the plan, it would say, you know, more than three pages in, maybe, but it would say that they'd have to deal with Scorpius at some point. I don't think that Stark would keep that from you. Yeah. You're Aurora chair bros. Also, there there had to be so much slash of Stark and John back in the day. That had to be a power ship. Oh my god. Probably, almost certainly. I don't. I don't want to go crawling down the internet's nether regions to look for it, but it definitely had to be a thing. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, like one of the subcategories of fan fiction is like comfort. Yeah, hurt comfort. Yeah, I can totally see that being a a John Stark story when they're when they're in the gamut base. Mm. Yep. But this is important because this is the beat in heist movies, right? Like, the heist has to be cold and unemotional. So once you introduce the element of revenge, then you introduce the possibility of the heist going very, very wrong. I kind of want to watch Ocean's 8 again. Let's do that. I love that movie so much. It was such a good movie. That did well at the box office, right? I think it did okay. Yeah, it wasn't like the Charlie's Angels reboot, which... Which, okay, 
Charlie's Angels reboot was like right up my alley. It's exactly the kind of movie I would want to see. And I got no targeted ads for it. I didn't even know it was in theaters when it was in theaters. Same, same. I saw no promotions for it. It was right up my alley. Like they under promoted that movie so badly. It, it's no wonder it flopped. Also, casting Noah Santaneo wasn't the best bet in the world. Well, okay, now, the thing is, I think you kind of have to be either very online or a tween to know who Noah Centineo is, mm. and people like us who are very online, like, we're already, we're already bought into <laughs> to Charlie's Angels. We're going to go anyway. In fact, there was a, a Slate explainer. I love when Slate, like, goes deep diving into movies. And there's a Slate explainer that's like, who is Noah Centineo and should I care that they did when Charlie's Angels came out? We should probably watch Charlie's Angels, actually. Yeah. I don't want to compliment Mick G because yeah, no, it's I... Mick G. But I feel like the original Charlie's Angels movies are kind of a lot better than people give them credit for. I really enjoy those movies. I'm sure that there's some things that I can I can actually... In my head, I can think of a few things that are cringe right now that don't hold up, but I think for the most part they were good. Yeah, well, mostly involving um, Lucy Liu stuff. Yeah, but the thing about the McGee, uh, I'm sorry, it's just such a douchey thing to name yourself. <laughs> but the thing about the McGee Charlie's Angels movies is that they are kind of camp, and that's definitely something Charlie's Angels should be. Mm-hmm. It was like the Brady Bunch movies, where there's a hint of comedy that makes it work better. And the fact that the angels are literally just super people, and there are occasionally other super people in this world that they have to fight. But it's not like, oh, canonically they have superpowers. It's just there's a small subset of people who are basically bulletproof, who can kind of fly. It's can... just a heightened reality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean... G was exactly the right person to do that movie. Yeah, now I'm I'm with you. Plus, it had Sam Rockwell in it, and I have such a soft spot for Sam Rockwell. The second movie was okay too. I I remember less about the second movie, so it had a uh, Demi Moore as the villain, and she was spoiler alert. Actually, I guess her being the villain was a spoiler. But she's introduced as one of Charlie's old angels who's gone rogue. Yeah, okay, I do remember that. And there <laughs> But like I remember specific fight sequences in from the first movie. I remember I, I don't have that with the second movie. I don't remember like any individual fight sequences. You don't even remember the uh in my day we uh we had guns. Okay, I don't, but I, I almost brought this up. When the Charlie's Angel movie came out, there were people complaining because the classic, like, back-to-back -back holding guns shot, they, that's not what they had on the poster. They had them back-to-back, -back, but with, like, karate chop arms. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading an article, like, an interview with uh, Drew Barrymore in Entertainment Weekly, I think it was, and she was like, everybody thinks it's, like, oh, no, they don't use guns because it's not politically correct. It's like, no, we're just doing... We're just doing punches instead because it's cooler. Yeah. Like, they didn't have fight coordinators in the 70s. Aaron Spelling wasn't shelling out to get, like, somebody to, to plan out the camera movements for a really cool wire fight. Hey, do you remember the lightsaber battles in the original Star Wars <laughs> movies? 
Do you remember how it's just two old guys awkwardly moving sticks at each other? Oh, what I remember, what I think of is Frank Sinatra using karate in the Manchurian Candidate. Oh. It's it's amazingly bad. So I would like to see the new Charlie's Angels movie, but it also kind of doesn't look camp enough for me. Like, oh no! See, I see. I didn't think that at all. Well, I, I guess we'll have to watch it. But it, it looked pretty. It looks like it understood the assignment to me. Hmm. Well, we'll have to see it and find out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're doing something based on an Aaron Spelling property and you don't approach it with a little bit of camp, well, let's just look at the Charmed reboot. I was, I was <laughs> about to say. I know. I, isn't it funny how I brought this around to our other podcast? How is the Charmed reboot still going? <laughs> Does it have fans? Well, I, I, I think it's done now. I think it's over. No, they got renewed for another season. You know how I know this? Because of Alison Pregler's videos about it? Uh, yes, her podcasts about it. She's been podcasting about New Charmed, which I've been listening to because we're not talking about New Charmed. And she gave up on that podcast when they got renewed. She had a last episode where she's like, look, I can't do this for another season. I thought there was just going to be... One more season, but they keep renewing it, and I can't keep talking about it. Oh, see, that's why I thought it was canceled, because I saw that that was her last New Charmed podcast. No, she threw in her hat because it got renewed. That's hilarious. All right, let's talk about Farscape. Yes. This isn't Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Wouldn't it be Welcome to the whatever the hell the new witch's last name's manor is? Yeah, I was doing like a weird throwback, because we used to do that thing on our Once Upon a Time podcast where we'd get distracted, usually talking about, like, Buffy. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be like, okay, let's move on. This isn't Welcome to the Hellmouth. But in this case, we actually do have Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. But this isn't it. This is Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Yes. Stark gives John a passkey that will open any door, which is what he gave Targo. So I would be a little suspicious if I was John, but okay. In all fairness, he's he's he may be a little bit insane right now, but he's still smarter than Dargo. That's true. That's true. And by the way, so John is like, hey, Stark, we don't have time for your vengeance right now. And he's like, hey, Zan, can you give me something that will react with heat so that I can use it to kill Scorpius while we're down there? But there's time for me to have vengeance against the same guy. I know. John's like, it's not vengeance. It's justice. Which is just vengeance with extra steps. Oh, sorry, is that what you're going to (laughs) say? Right on the money. (laughs) So sexy sex alien is having a sexy conversation with her Weasley second-in-command guy, her Smithers. No, no, that's uh, that's Scorpius's Smithers, Bracca. Oh. She she wants them to go back to the planet so that she can, like, have torture, sex, slash interrogation with Scorpius. And Scorpius is like, yeah. Yeah, you should do that. You should go back to the ship. Got a hungry bone vampire. I mean, she has a carapace. She'd probably be fine. I don't know. Is there calcium in a carapace? I'm not Googling that. But <laughs> the internet probably knows. Back on Moya, John goes to see if Dargo's okay because Dargo's his friend. And Dargo's like, you suck for not coming with me to the planet. And I... Jesus Fucking Christ, Dargo. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that they didn't do the stupid thing that got you arrested immediately. Also, like, he went with the plan as soon as they had a plan. I was going to say if you had sat 
there for a minute, you'd have gotten the plan. But you flying off the handle wasn't was was a fundamental part of the plan. Ugh. Maybe rethink your life a little bit. Yeah. So they they have a they have a a manly fight. And then back at the Shadow Depository... You can really tell that they had a bigger budget for these episodes. They they did. They they talk about on the commentary track for this episode how they got extra money for this episode. And it's beautiful. Like, even the shots of the planet are so beautiful. Even though they're, like, matte paintings, it's, like, a really gorgeous matte painting, you know? Meanwhile, Rigel's been farting again. Yeah. Well, he's nervous because the plan is... The plan is he will get out of the statue, crawl to a different storage container. He's got a little device that will make it look like that storage container is Zan's storage container. And then when Zan summons her storage container, they'll get the one that, you know, Rigel activated. But the, the problem is... Scorpius is gold. Yes. The problem is he can't get out of the statue because it's too heavy for him and he's just a puppet. I, I love that, like, the real the real weak point in this plan was Rachel's lack of upper body strength. Nobody took that into account. So you're saying it's not a Little Mermaid slash Willow resurrecting Buffy issue? Yeah, no, no. This is, like, a, a, a non-Hynerian would have been able to pull this off, but then a non-Hynerian wouldn't have been able to be sealed in a statue. So we we watch we watch puppet Rigel struggle across the shipping containers and the puppeteers are always good on the show but this is some this is good puppet work. Mm. Zan goes to retrieve her container and there's like it's supposed to be like a tense standoff where you don't know if Rigel's going to get into the other container in time but I don't know I I feel like that particular tension doesn't really work for me. Like, I, I know there's no chance he's, you know, not, not going to. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't care if something bad happens to Rigel. Oh, so mean. Poor Rigel. Poor Rigel. I mean, many times on this podcast, you've asked what is the... Uh, utility. The utility of Rigel. And I mean, the utility of Rigel is that he's fun-sized, so you can do things like stick him in a storage container so that he can hop to another storage container and steal all the gold in it. They could have kept that horrifying E.T. ripoff, or that ripoff of the E.T. ripoff. The Vork, yeah. Yeah, they could have kept the Vork. You had one job. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Anyway, John sees on the security footage that Scorpius has left his cooling rods unattended while he weirdly makes out with the other S&M alien. So John goes to, you know, rub the gelatin paste on those so that they'll explode when Scorpius puts them in his head. Smart. I mean, yeah, but also maybe stay on mission, John? Eh. How many times do you get the chance to just kill a guy? Well, and actually, this isn't one of those chances because, remember, John couldn't kill Scorpius before because the Scorpius in his head keeps him from doing that. And it's this really awkward scene where he's trying to put the paste on the cooling rod and Aaron is watching him from the background like, what? Why can you not just do it? Why are you, like, twitching? And John's like, well, because there's a voice in my head. And Aaron's like, oh, my God. Maybe you could just pretend your way around. You could be like, oh... 
wouldn't it be fun just to spread this random gel on these random rods? Definitely nothing. Uh, just just doing it because it would be fun. Well, I mean, the more obvious solution and the one they finally go with is Aaron is like, oh my god, give it to me. I don't have Scorpius in my head. Let me just do it. And then because it took so long... Scorpius. His lieutenant comes in to get the rods and they have to hide. And of course, hiding means getting on top of each other behind the, the couch. So she just ditched that red wig, huh? That's just not going to be a thing for her anymore? Yeah, I know. Scorpius's S&M assistant had, like, that really cool, fake, party city wig. And and now she's just, now she's just got a blonde ponytail like all of the other peacekeepers. Maybe, maybe now that Scorpius isn't on the gamut base anymore, she, like, has to be more within regulation uniform. Also, I believe that we are still playing by Charmed Rules, so being blonde probably will not end well for this lady. Yep, evil or dead. I guess she is evil, so. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just been her and PK Tech Girl, right? Right, so evil and dead. So this is the part that I indicated where uh, Scorpius finds out that there's a Delvian there, and that she's with two Sebations and uh, Luxon and uh, Nabari, and it's like, it's John Creighton! And tells uh, Natiri to lock down the Shadow Depository so he can capture John. This part has some tension. Mm. So... Yeah, we might get stuck in another prison plot. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a given that everybody is going to get out of this alive. Mm. And... We can lose Stark again. We could lose Stark again. I mean, I feel like Farscape really has a anyone-could-die feel about it. Especially because someone could get captured and be captured for a few episodes. Like, there's there's real peril here. Mm. So, everybody is sealed into their various, like, places. And Stark is going to try to walk them through it. He doesn't want them to use the, the pass key that he gave them because the... Uh, then then everybody will know where they are to, like, set off alarms or whatever. Hmm. So he's just going to do it from where he is and then hide his traces and nobody will be able to track where they're going. And John's like, no, 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 we're going to go with the past key and create a diversion and you get everyone else out. John has a death wish. Like, a part of John wants to get caught by Scorpius. Is it the part that's the chip in his brain? Part of it's the part that's the chip in his brain. But, yeah, I mean, he's killed a lot of people. Scorpius? No, John. John has killed a lot of people. I mean, it was one of the things his brain mom told him about during that delusional episode episode. Yeah, that's true. Brain mom, also blonde. Oh, yeah, and she's also dead. So, while they're being chased, I love even in this intense moment, we get something that cracks me up, which is... Aaron and John knock out two guards, and John's like, wait, I have a plan. And his plan is to put on the guards' uniforms, but, like, that's a complicated thing. These are complicated leather uniforms. So everyone else gets there while John's, like, still halfway to unzipping one of the uniforms. It's pretty great. Yeah. And and John even, like, tries it. He's like, because he's still in that mode, he's like, they went that way! <laughs> even though, you know, they are them. They're all in the same general area now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get the sense that they're all pretty close to each other. It kind of reminds me of the inside of those, uh, you might be a little too old for this, Discovery Zone. No, no, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I understand Discovery Zone. Yeah, it looks kind of like the inside of the tunnels that ran through there. Yeah, totally. Like giant human gerbil tunnels. Honestly, you made those for adults and you let them drink, those would be like super popular. You uh, would especially clean here up... in Portland. Yeah, oh, that's what I was thinking. You might have to clean up throw up a lot though, but... Yeah, I wouldn't want to run one of those things. But I, I'm probably go to one. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. It's, maybe it's, not, maybe not post pandemic because now I would be thinking about all the germs. Yeah, true. So we've got Chiana and Zan, and they're at the last door, and they're like, "Stark, open the last door!" And Stark's like, "No, it's too much pressure. I can't do it." And we've got Aaron and John in another part, and John's like, "I have to go give myself up to Scorpius because a part of me." wants to and then we have another great exchange where john says if scorpius gets me and aaron says i know shoot you and john goes no shoot him but also john wants to tell her how he feels and oh my god he says i need to tell you how i feel and aaron's like no you don't and he says no i need to tell you and aaron says no you don't ah. it's it's a very sweet take on the I love you, I know scene. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes, I was thinking it's the Farscape version of I love you, I know. Oh, and it gives me all the feels. Aaron and John are like such an aberration for me in that there are a couple that I ship that are canon, heterosexual, not outrageous. Like, I, how good does a couple have to be to be all of those things and it's still the couple I ship? Hero guy and warrior girl. I know! It's such a cliche, and yet I love them. Anyway, Dargo... And yet you don't ship Peter Quill and Gamora. Yeah. Yeah. Gamora. Gamora. Gamora's that turtle. Yeah. They're essentially the same characters. And yet somehow something is lacking. Yeah. I don't, I don't ship Peter Quill with anyone. I ship Peter Quill with shutting up. Oh, that's fair. It's not a. It's not fair to comic book Peter Quill. Who, oh yeah, no, no, not at all. The only thing I really know about him, though, is that he was a completely different character pre Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie, and then afterwards he was briefly married to Kitty Pride. Yeah, but then they wanted him to match the the MCU Peter Quill, so they turned him into John Crichton. God. Anyway, Dargo knocks out Stark so that he can, like, open the last door for Zan and Shiana, which he does. And Zan and Shiana and Aaron and John, like, all escape at the same time. They are all in the, like, airlock. Mm. And John says he's going to go lock all of the doors. Aaron help them load things up. And Aaron's like, no, let's reverse that because she doesn't want John near the doors. And John's like, no, I need to do this. And Aaron trusts him. So she's like, okay, I trust bad, you to know what you need. Bad choice. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, this is important for, for John in a, in a way that we'll talk about. As he's sealing up the doors, first Bracca appears and... John's like, oh, Bracca, let's fight. But then he just hits him with his pistol and knocks him out. And then Scorpius, like, shows up and is like, okay, now we're going to have our real, our real showdown. Scorpius is going to unleash his super strength, which he's reticent to do for some reason. 
I thought you said Scorpius. I thought you were going to say Scorpius is going to scorp. Scorpius is going to scorp. <laughs> that is how he does. John asks Scorpius what he did to him, and Scorpius tells him there is a chip in his brain. A chip in his brain that is, like, going through everything in his head and finding out the secret to wormholes. And this is an important moment for John because John didn't know if he was losing his mind or not. He didn't know if he was just suffering from some kind of very intense PTSD from the Aurora chair. I think it's something of a relief to John to learn that there is a physical cause for what's happening to him. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I love that Scorpius tells him that he suspects that the chip has actually saved John's life on a few occasions, which is true. Mm -hmm. At least two episodes we've seen, the chip saved John's life. It has a vested interest in doing so. Oh, yeah. Not not for uh, altruistic reasons. So... I mean, arguably not for uh, Scorpius-based reasons. Like, John dies, it dies. Right. Yeah, that's true. Like, like Fry's worms in Parasites Lost, in the episode of Futurama. Exactly like Fry's worms. So, Scorpius's brain is overheating because the coolant rod with the gelatin paste is in his head. So, his sexy lieutenant goes to replace it, but then she gets knocked out... So now Scorpius is like, John, you need to put the cooling rod in. And, I mean, it's a real design flaw that he can't change it himself. And this isn't a nitpick. This is like a, ooh, this is, it's, his, it's his Achilles brain cartridge. I feel like that might have been intentional on the Sebation's part. I, I find that very interesting when you find out who actually gave him this device. Oh. I think that's an interesting thing to contemplate. Anyway, Scorpius is insisting that John put the rod in, and John is trying to fight that. Like, John wants Scorpius to overheat and die, but the chip in John's brain is trying to make him put the rod in. So they go back and forth, and it's terrible, and finally John is able to, like, release the rod and pull himself away from Scorpius. Who is, I'm assuming, dead forever now. Oh yeah, totally dead forever, never coming back. Definitely not. We've seen the last of Scorpius. Bye, Scorpius. Bye you, forever. You have scorped your last. And I mean, to be fair, we definitely don't see Scorpius die here. Like, it, it things don't look good for old Scorpy, but <laughs> we do not see him die. Yeah, yeah. If, and if it happens off panel, it didn't happen. Yeah. Or off screen if you're you know, a person who's not reading a comic book, the only place where off-panel would apply. <laughs> so everyone is back on the ship now. Mm -hmm. They have all of Scorpius's gold. Scorpius is probably dead. Mission successful all around. Yep. Yep. So the thing about Scorpius's money. Mm-hmm. The thing about Scorpius's money is that Natira put it in Scorpius's container because remember he insisted that she repay him three times what uh, what had been taken from him, and she revealed during the the chase sequence to Scorpius she revealed to him that uh, she was trying to sabotage him, so she didn't give him gold. She gave him things that look like coins but are actually bugs that will eat through metal and destroy whatever they are placed in. So... Uh-oh. 
Ruh oh indeed. Dargo continues to be a jerk. He's like, I will never forget what you've done for me. Stark, you're my best friend now. You know, he said that after Stark gave him his son information the first time, once he was done strangling him. So I feel like it really doesn't carry any weight anymore. Well, Chiana's like, uh, what about John? And Dargo's like, oh, fuck John. All he did was assist in the bank heist that got me the money I need to save my son. I definitely don't owe him anything because he briefly wanted to make an actual plan. Oh my god, he's the worst. I mean, here he is pretty much being the worst. And John and Aaron have a conversation where John talks about essentially being completely tortured by the chip in his brain. The chip which is still screaming at him that he should have saved Scorpius, which is horrifying. And Aaron tries to comfort him, but, like, there is no comfort to be found here. Yeah, he's got a dead guy screaming in his brain. Yeah, yeah. And even though he knows now that he's not losing his mind, like, in a different sense, he's losing his mind because the chip is going to eat it away. So Aaron, Aaron does like the Liz Lemon awkward pat. She like strokes his hair while he rests his head on her shoulder. And that's an important moment because that's not a thing that peacekeepers do. No, friend, don't be cry. (laughs) Do you remember back in The Way We Weren't when Aaron told Pilot that when he was first brought aboard, her her lover who she betrayed and killed... Mm -hmm stroked his cheek in a comforting way and at the time she didn't understand why you would do that and now she can't understand why you wouldn't Mm. like it's the same thing she's she's she has grown as a person anyway the gold is trying to eat the ship now to be continued dun 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 so much happened in this episode i My major complaint for Farscape is generally episodes that feel like they could be conceivably 20 minutes long, but this was not one of them. So much stuff happened. Yeah. So next next episode is going to be Liars, Guns, and Money Part 2 with friends like these. And the episode description from Wikipedia for that is... With Jothi in Scorpius's hands, the crew of Moya recruits several former enemies to raid the Shadow Depository. Ooh. Yeah. Return of Maldus. <laughs> we are going to have a, like, getting the crew together sequence, which I like those. It'll be fun. Yeah. It sounds like the next episode isn't going to be all about dealing with those bugs at all. Yeah, it does sound like that, doesn't it? Don't worry, they'll deal with the bugs. So, uh, I believe that will take us to our segments. I think that's right. So, our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you? I mean, the whole shadow depository thing, I do like the idea of criminal banks. I, I know I was making jokes about it, but it is a neat concept. And honestly, you could do a ton of stuff with it. Yeah, the shadow depository is great world building, and it becomes really important basically for the rest of the series. It gives it gives Moya's crew a kind of notoriety that will stick with them until the end of the show. Mm. 
Uh, our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures, which is what alien design worked or didn't work for you this episode? Uh, you know, I, I, it's not character so much as I really like the design of the uh, evil bank. The bank? The, the inside of the bank? The Discovery Zone tubes? Yeah, the, in, the inside and the outside. I thought it was really, really well designed. I know we normally talk about creatures here and... Yeah, Natiri was cool looking, but what really stuck with me was the bank. Honestly, the outside was gorgeous. I was definitely thinking that watching it this time through. And even before I looked up on the commentary that they got a, a budget bump this episode. I, you could tell. I could tell. It's, oh. I actually briefly wondered if it was remastered, which I hate when they do normally. And oh, no, it wasn't. It was this good when it originally aired. It has this sort of sinister opulence to it. I just... Perfect phrase. Yeah. yeah. So I think that takes us to our final segment, which is looking for a way home, which is what emotionally resonated with you in this episode. Okay. It didn't actually hit me when we were watching it, but you pointed it out, and I really like it as a small character note. The fact that John isn't holding a gun, he just points his fingers in the shape of a gun at Stark, but Stark mm -hmm. reacts like he's holding a gun. Yeah. I really like that moment. Even though it totally flew over my head the first couple of times we saw this episode, that is probably my favorite character moment. That is a great moment. I mean, I, I have to, I, I'm contractually obligated to go with the John and Aaron moment. Mm -hmm. So the Farscape version of the I love you, I know moment, it's just got to take it away from me. But yeah, that is a good moment, the one you mentioned. So I think that does it for this week. Yeah, I believe that will about do it this, uh, for this episode. I'm very excited to watch the next episode with you, now yeah. that we've recorded this one. All right. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs> <laughs>